calling this series that we've been on, I guess this is technically week three um, of it, we've been calling it our first series, and really it's about keeping God the priority in our life, and really focusing on Him and giving Him a proper place. And so, you know, there's something about really focusing and making God our priority. Number one, it's His rightful place. You know, the first of the Ten Commandments is, You shall have no other gods before me. Deuteronomy says this is that we serve a jealous God, who will not allow anybody else to have affection before Him. But we can allow that to happen. We can allow other things to come in and to, in a sense, distract us. And yet, we have a God, and the Bible says that He jealously yearns or desires fellowship with us. And so there are some things that we can do uh, even throughout this year, you know, uh, the first week of this series, I guess it was, I was challenging you really about fasting, wanting to encourage you to step out in faith and to do something outside of your normal, to seek God here at the first of the year. And last week, I was really encouraging you to begin, even during this season, to uh, really seek God's vision, God's purpose for your life. Because if you have God's ideas and God's will and God's purpose for your life, then His provision will come. God will provide for the vision that He ordains or that He establishes. And so if, you know, if you have your plans, your New Year's resolutions, your five part things for 2016, God is not guaranteed to do anything about those because they're your plans. But when they're his plans, he says, I'm going to bless that. And he says, I'm going to make that happen. Why? Because that's his purpose and his plan. And so, you know, I was sharing with you about that last week. And so this morning, I want to share some things with you, uh, if you will. This is. I guess you could call it my subtitle is Seeking the Lord or Seek the Lord. And this has to go beyond, you know, I know I'm challenging you right now during this 21 days to, hey, set some time aside to pray and to fast and to seek the Lord. I'm not telling you what to do. It's not some legalistic, legalistic thing that I'm trying to make you do. No, it's a matter of the heart. And your heart's got to be in it or it doesn't really, it's not going to produce the fruit that it should. I'll say it that way. And so whatever the Lord would lead you to do, then just be faithful to that. Uh, you know, we're not here to... You know, tell you exactly what you're doing this, you're doing that. You know, that's not the part. No, I'm more concerned about you connecting with God because that's more important than anything. And so, uh, but even outside of these, this really, this season, if you will, there's still in another 11 months throughout this year that we still need to be seeking the Lord. And we need, that needs to be a normal. Now, we're setting aside additional time right now. Maybe you turn the TV off. Maybe, you know, you, you're not on the Internet or you give up Facebook or you give up some of those things that would distract you. Uh, you know, I mean, we still have to live. We still have to do certain things. But there are a lot of things, you know. Um, I always hear this, and I've even been guilty of saying this, is, oh, I'm just so busy. You know, there's a point of just being too busy. Just being too busy, going too much, got too much going on. And sometimes we need to look back and say, you know, uh, kind of give you a natural example. You know, people a lot of times will say, well, I'm broke. And I'm like, well, if I sat down with you in your checkbook, I could probably find a lot of money. Yeah. You know, uh, and look, and I'm as guilty as anybody, you know, I mean, I, you know, of, of those types of things. But I remember when me and Dara first started really looking at some things, we were spending like 800 bucks a month in food for two people. We found a lot of money just because we thought we're crazy. And we cut our food bill from $800 to like $300. Well, all of a sudden, we found $500. We weren't as broke as we thought. And why was that? Because we looked and we had some money that we weren't paying attention to. Well, the same is true in our life. I mean, just practically, think of it this way. If you watch two hours of TV a week and we're on the Internet for two hours a day, or two hours a day on TV, two hours a day on the Internet, 
That's four hours a day, right? What's four times seven? Got any math majors in here? It's 28 hours a week. 28 hours. How many hours do you work at work? 40, 50-ish. Maybe some of you, maybe 60. Even if we go to the extreme, 60 hours, and you think, man, my work consumes all of my time. If you're spending four hours a day at some form of, let's just call it this way, at some form of entertainment, half of the time that you're spending at work, outside of work, you're spending an additional 28 hours doing something else. Guess what? I just found you almost 30 hours of your week. You're like, well, I don't have any time for anything. What if you just do an hour apiece? That's still 14 hours a week. I just watch my one show and I just watch this. I just watch the news. Well, hey, let me just give you any. Maybe you need to turn the talk radio off because it's warring against your peace anyways. Maybe you need to turn off the news because it's doom and gloom. The Bible already going to tell you what's going to happen anyways. Turn those things off. Turn your talk shows off. Turn your sports off. I mean, hey, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I kind of like to think of it this way. Is that I love sports, but I, I watch games on TiVo. That way I can fast forward through them. At best, I can still only watch a football game in an hour. And my family hates watching it with me because they're like, this is like hyper football. Like I fast forward to hike and then hit play. So, I, you know, and as soon as the play's over, we're fat. I, it's a four-hour game. And some people watched two football games last night. That was eight hours of TV. Now, I like football, and I could sit down and watch me some football. I don't even have to like the teams that I can watch football. I like football. But when you really evaluate some things and look at what's consuming your life and your time, if you just really honestly assess it and look at it and say, where's all my time going? Here, I would challenge you in this. For the next seven days, log your time on a piece of paper. You're going to find out real quick. Where's my time going? Just write it down. Well, I woke up at 7. I had to be at work at 8. For there till 5. When I, you know, I got off, I had to go to the grocery store. Just write down your time. And, you're going to, and then just go back and look. And you're going to realize, man, I, I didn't write anything after 7 o'clock that night. I got home and ate dinner and watched a little show. I don't know. What did I do after 7 o'clock on Tuesday? I don't remember. (laughs) And you will find that you have a lot more time than you realize. Ephesians gives us the encouragement to redeem the time for the days are evil. In other words, make the most of your time. And and let me just say this just so you don't think I'm over. Part of it is you're exhausted simply because you're not using your time wisely. You're going all the time and you're busy doing a million things, but you don't ever honor the Sabbath to take a break. And that's important. We need to have those days that we can unplug. Well, many times we're so busy going and doing that we never slow down enough to actually say, God, what's in my life that's not necessary, that's not important? Because there's probably time with your family, time with your spouse, time with your kids, time with your grandkids that you could be spending with them. It's just being consumed with things that don't really matter. But we're not paying attention. And so I want to share some things this morning. Um, I've got to get into my message. I'm going to be flying through this stuff. So uh, in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start here. I read this verse during the offering, but I want to read it again. as just kind of a, a starting point, if you will. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. 
Most of the scriptures should probably be up there on the screen for you. But it says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything else that you need. Of course, this is part of the Beatitude sermon. And and really, this translation uh, isn't as familiar to many people. But other translations would say it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things. What are these things? All the things that everybody else is looking for. All their physical needs, their food, their clothing, all those natural things. He says, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, then all of the stuff that everybody else is looking for, it will be added or given unto you. Well, what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Have you ever thought about what is the kingdom of God? You know, because if, I, if we were to take a poll, some of you would say, well, the kingdom of God is heaven. The kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is that. Well, the Bible talks about exactly what the kingdom of God is and even what he talks and really what he means. But here's a basic definition, if you will. The kingdom of God simply means to make God's agenda our agenda. To make God's plan and the things that he cares about, the things that we care about. If it matters to God, it should matter to us. Whatever area that we want God to bless, we have to put him in that first place of our life. Well, And he says, if you'll put my kingdom, in other words, if you put my heart first, I'm going to bless everything else. But you have to put him first. You know, the subtitle, if you will, of this series is keeping God the first priority of our life. You know, God won't be second. He won't reduce himself to second. He'll just step back. He's either, he's got to be first priority. In other words of first importance in our life. And so I want to read you some verses here along this lines because Jesus really explains to us what or where the kingdom of God is and what it even comprises of in several verses. I want to help you understand what this exactly is talking about. In uh, Luke chapter 17 in the Amplified Bible, verse 20, the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God was coming. He responded to them by saying, The kingdom of God does not come with signs to be observed or a visible display. In other words, the kingdom's not here and the kingdom's not over there. You know, it's kind of like, hey, there's Northwest Elementary. It's over there. That's not how the kingdom of God is. He goes on in verse 21. He says, Normal people say, look, here it is, or see, there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you in your hearts. The kingdom of God is in your heart. Now, they were looking for a physical kingdom, but Jesus is totally throwing them off. Because he totally gave them an answer that they weren't looking for. They were thinking, we're going to set up a kingdom with a ruler, and the Messiah is going to rule, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to dominate the world. And yet Jesus makes the statement, and he says, The kingdom of God is within your hearts, and it is among you, surrounding you. In uh, Romans fourteen seventeen, it says this concerning the kingdom of God. It says the kingdom of God is not a matter of getting the food and the drink that one likes. He's really talking, there, there's a debate going on here about what you should and shouldn't eat. And all those types of things. And they're debating like, which one makes you more godly? That's, the par- that's my paraphrase. They're debating, hey, I eat this and this makes me closer to God and I don't do this. And so that makes me closer to God. And, and yet... The writer of Romans here says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat or you drink, but instead, it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is within you. It's in your heart. And now we see here in Romans where it says that the kingdom of God is not about the external things. Again, it's of the heart. But what's it about? It's about being made right with God. It's about having true heart peace. That that word peace there really means wholeness or soundness. 
It's not just, well, I'm not fearing anything. I'm not afraid of anything right now. That's not really, it's talking about a wholeness and a soundness in our heart. So we're to be, so the kingdom of God is about being made right with God. Accepting the sacrifice of Jesus, that he would be our savior. That we're to be whole and sound in him and also joy in the Holy Spirit. I mean, Christians should not walk around looking like we've been sucking on lemons all the time. There ought to be a smile on our face. And the Bible says that we can have joy unspeakable and full of God's glory. Now you could take that one verse and just say, does my life look like that? Joy unspeakable and full of God's glory. My life is to reflect the glory, the goodness, the presence of God. And the same is true for all of us. Romans fifteen thirteen says this. It says, May the God of your hope so fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound and be overflowing and bubbling over with hope. We're talking about the kingdom of God within you. The presence of God, the power of God within you. It says that God would fill you with joy and with peace. That the power of the Holy Spirit may abound and be overflowing. We don't serve a God who gives us just enough to survive. How many of you know that? Jesus didn't die for us so that we could just make it to the end. We're not trying to survive. And look, and there's times that we survive. I get that. There's times that it's just a season and you're fighting. But you should not stay perpetually in a place of survival. Kind of break it into a natural. I don't know why I keep going back to this. But it's like living paycheck to paycheck. Well, hey, there's times of the year you get a lot of unexpected bills. Things happen all of a sudden. You're like, oh, my gosh. And you have to empty your savings account because your air conditioner went out. Well, now you're like, shoot, when am I getting paid again? But that shouldn't be our all the time. I mean, life happens. Things happen. The car breaks down. Well, I didn't know the car was going to break down. Well, now it needs this and now it needs that. Shoot, I didn't. Man, I don't want to take that money out of my savings, but I I guess I'm going to have to. Well, I shouldn't live in that place. And many people in their relationship with God live in survival mode. We go and seek God when we need him. Not just because we want to fellowship with him. Not just because we want to know Him and be with Him. And yet, it says here that our God would fill us with joy, peace, and the power of the Holy Spirit. That it would give us great hope. In Matthew chapter 3, out of the first edition of the New Living Translation, so it'll probably be a little different than the one they put up on the screen, it says it like this. It says that God blesses those who realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. You know, God can only, and I mentioned this earlier, but God can only fill us in the places that we recognize that we need Him in. God's a gentleman. He ain't going to force Himself on nobody. He's not going to force you to do anything. I mean, if it, I mean, practically speaking, if God had His way, every hand in every church would have been raised this morning during worship in every church across the planet. Why? Because the Bible says we're to lift holy hands. Well, these aren't just human hands anymore. Why? Because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I've been made an heir of righteousness. So when I lift my hands, it's no longer just flesh that I'm raising. It's no longer just skin and bone that I'm raising. Now these are considered to be holy hands. 
Not that I'm perfect, but when I lift them up to worship God, it becomes an act of holiness before God. Well, even in that illustration, how many of you know not every hand was raised in every church across the world this morning? But yet, God says, I, I want, but, and so God's not going to force you to do anything. He's not going to force you to open up your mouth. He's not going to force your Bible open. You're not going to wake up and your Bible laying on your face in the morning with a, a verse underlined. Here's your verse of the day. Read this before you get up. And you know, I mean, God, you're not going to wake up one day and an angel be standing there and says, the Lord says you can't get up out of bed until you read some Bible this morning. And you go to get up and you can't move. And the angel says, I told you. He said, you can't get up this morning until you read. I mean, that's not going to happen. Why? Because it's a decision on our part. It's a choice that we have to make. So you could, and I love this verse where it says that God blesses those who realize their need for God. That we realize, we recognize, we understand that God, I need you in my life. And I can't go another day or another step or another decision without you speaking to me. Without that life in me, the life that Jesus came to get, I can't go any further. I don't want to go any further. I mean, Moses said this, and God told him, um, he said, you guys can go ahead and go towards the promised land. And I'm going to send some angels and things, but I'm not going to go. And, and what was Moses' response? I'm not taking a step without you. I'm not moving a muscle if you don't go with me. And God says, oh, I'll bless you and I'll do all these things. And I'll... No, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. Why? Because Moses understood his need for God. He, he, I mean, many of us would hear that and be like, all right, let's go. Awesome. And yet here it says that God blesses those. I believe there's a, a blessing from God, a special blessing for those who simply say, God, I need you. Not just when I got saved. I mean, I got saved 20 years ago this summer. That's when I say I really got saved. I was raised in church. and all, But I, my life changed at 16 years old. That's when something happened in me and my life changed. Not saying that I was perfect, but there was something different. A power came into my life. Well, I don't want it to just, I, I want to grow. And so God will bless us when we, the Bible says that he, that he would, uh, would bless those who would hunger and thirst after righteousness. What does that mean? To hunger and thirst after the way that he has designed for us to live. That when we have a desire, God, I want to live the way that Jesus really intended for me to live. He says that there's blessings. And he says for them, the kingdom of heaven is given to them. So let me ask you, or let me make this statement to you before we move on. What is the kingdom of God? It is a new life. It is a new way of living. It is a new approach to life. It's not a different or an upgrade or a better version of my old dead life. No, the Bible says that life is dead and it only produces death. There's nothing good in my past. I'm not saying that in my life with God I haven't had struggles or that I live in some fake euphoric bubble. No, I still live in this world. But I can tell you this, looking back over now almost the last 20 years, I could not be anywhere close to where I am today. And I'm not talking about naturally. I mean mentally, emotionally, physically, <laughs> just in, my, in myself. I would not be as happy. I would not be as joyful. I would not have the purpose. 
I, I wouldn't have it if it was not for God's help. And many times we wait until we get pressed to the limit to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. And, and look, the Bible is very clear. The Lord is close to those who call out for him. He will come to your aid when you get in that moment. But what if we lived in a way as was our normal, as was our habit, as what our normal routine is to seek the Lord? John 10.10, Jesus made the statement at the end of that verse. He says that, that he came to give us life more abundantly to the fullness over the top. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be, you know, just filthy rich. And that's not really what he's talking about. Now, there's blessings for living for the Lord. But how many of you know you can't buy peace, you can't buy joy, you can't buy health, you can't buy a lot of things. Now, God will bless you naturally, physically. Sure, he will. I believe God wants to do that. But many times I believe we've limited God to the physical. But that's not really the focus of what Jesus said. And so the key to having God's abundant life, which is his love, his uh, righteousness, his peace, his joy, is keeping him in the rightful place in our priorities. We've got to keep him in that place. If we're going to experience all that has been made available for us as believers, God's got to be first. He's got to be in that place. So when our priorities are straight and our hearts are pure before the Lord, this is what Matthew 8 promises. Or 5, 8. Let me get in the right translation here. I got my iPad back. I feel normal again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. New Living Translation says that God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. That's an amazing promise. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. When my heart's right, God says, I'm going to show up. Earlier, I was telling you about experiencing the power and the presence of God. Well, what brings that about? A pure heart? A pure heart before the Lord. And what does that mean? Nothing defiling my heart. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. But what it does mean is that God, how do I, how do I have a pure heart before the Lord? God, you're first. How do I have a pure heart towards my wife? Well, this is my wife, but I got a girlfriend on the side. How many of you know that when I come to her to talk to her, if she knows that I got something going on with somebody else on the side, my heart is not pure towards her. Well, guess what? That's going to affect how she relates to me, right? Well, I don't have a girlfriend on the side. I just flirt with somebody on the side. All the, What? I'm still not. Well, you know, I don't flirt with anybody. I just have this little thing on Facebook that I talked to this person I used to date back, back when, and we just kind of talk every now and then, but that's not, my heart's not pure to her, is it? See, the purity comes in that, hey, I am yours and only yours. All of my affection belongs to you. There's a purity there, right? Why? Because she knows that she can trust me. Well, when I go to the Lord, I shouldn't have something on the side. I shouldn't have something that I just look at occasionally, you know, every now and then on the computer that nobody really knows about. No, my heart's not pure. Before the Lord. Why? Because I've got this other thing that's pulling me. I want my heart to be pure before the Lord. Now go back. You can be filled with the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You're like, well, I got this little addiction thing. I got this little something going on. I got this little thing happening. You can get over it. Why? Because you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The very power and presence of God is living in you right now. We just have to tap into it. And yet, God makes this statement through Jesus. And he said, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. If you're like, well, I've never experienced God like you're talking about. There's your key right there. Get, the, get those things out of your life that are competing for attention. Because God promised when your heart's pure towards me, I'm going to show up. There's a purity that has to happen. As I was reading this verse, it reminded me of Psalms 24, verse 3 and 4, or 3, 3 through 5. It says, Who may climb the mountain of God? Who can stand in His holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. It says, They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with the God of their salvation. Again, Who can go into the very throne room of God, the presence of God, those with clean hands and a pure heart? God will not reject. God will not turn away. No, God's going to say, come on in. And not only that, he says, not only do I let you come into my presence, but hey, I'm going to give you a blessing. Just, you know, you can't be blessed. Or let me say this. You can't not be blessed when you go into the presence of God. It's impossible. Why? Because he's just good. And so there's just... Just goodness falls off of him. So every time you get in the presence of God, guess what? There's a blessing that can come upon your life. You ought to say that every time you get in the presence of God. Father, I just thank you that your blessings are abounding in my life right now. Because I've set this time apart and I'm in your presence right now. And because of that, I think that there's a blessing. It will change maybe your pursuit of that presence. Why? Because there's a blessing attached to it. In Genesis 17, 1 out of the Amplified Bible, God said to Abraham that he was to walk and live habitually before the Lord and be perfect and blameless, wholehearted and complete. Here's what I want you to catch out of that. Is that God instructed Abraham to, to be habitual, or in other words, make it his habit to walk with him and live for him. In other words, this ought to be part of your life. It's not like an occasional every now and then kind of, this ought to be my normal part of my life. So I want to get practical with you here in the next few minutes. So how do we establish some daily habits? What are some things that we can do on a regular basis that can empower us to live full of the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we could live a new life? So here's a few of them that we're going to look at quickly here in the next few minutes together. We do this by establishing daily habits of prayer, worship, and regular and consistent time spent in God's Word. Regular and consistent time in the Word. Prayer, worship, and consistent time in God's Word. So we're going to look at these three things quickly here. The first one we're going to look at is prayer. You know, prayer, you know, uh, I think it was two Sunday nights ago, I taught a message called uh, a prayer-filled life. In other words, where prayer ought not just to be something that we do in the morning when we wake up or just when we go, you know, put our kids to sleep or just when something goes wrong. Prayer ought to just be part of our life. Man, that we just pray first. That's just part of who we are. God, I need to seek you. God, you know, I thank you for this appointment that I've got. You know, I'll kind of use this as an example. Just because I don't know anybody that does this in our church. So it's a good example. If you're a car salesman, somebody walks up on your way to go out there and greet them. You ought to say, Father, I thank you that I have favor with all people. 
that you're going to help me to be able to sell and, to, and people are just going to like me and they're going to want to buy a car for me and they're going to send friends to me. They're not even going to know why. But I just thank you that you're blessing because I'm putting you as a priority in my life. I thank you that your blessings are going to follow me. That you're going to open doors of opportunity for me. And you never know what that can open the door to. Simply because, and if you made that your habit, you're like, well, that doesn't seem too spiritual. What if every time you, before you went into a meeting at your office, and I don't know about you, I'm not, I mean, I don't mind meetings, but there's only so many meetings one human being can withstand. <laughs> what if you prayed before you walked into every meeting? Father, I just thank you that I have the mind of Christ, that I have wisdom concerning my job and the things that you've put before me, that I don't just see it with the eye of the natural, but I think that I see it with the eye of the Spirit, that I'd be able to see and guess what's going to happen. The next time it comes around for promotion, who are they going to want to promote? That guy who keeps having them good ideas. Who is that guy? Who is that? Why? Because you've made it a priority now that, hey, I'm not walking into another meeting without praying. I, I'm not starting my day again. I, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that without praying first. We won't look at this, but in Luke 11, uh, it's really, there's two accounts of the Lord's Prayer. And in Luke 11, uh, we see at the beginning where the Bible says that Jesus went to a certain place and he prayed. And it says that this, after he prayed, it says that the disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, as any good Jewish boy, a young person for that matter, they had to memorize prayers. That was part of, you know, their education. They weren't asking Jesus how to pray. What they were asking was, how do I pray like you? Because what, the way you prayed was different than the prayers that I know. There's something different about that prayer. So Jesus, teach us how to pray like you. And that's really what they're asking. And so... Here in Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read this first part out of the message translation because this is the, the second. It's in Matthew 11, and, or I'm sorry, in Luke 11, and then also in Matthew 6 is where we have the two accounts of the Lord's Prayer. But before that, Jesus gives some instruction concerning how we are to pray. Verse 5 in the message translation, Matthew 6 says, When you come before God, don't turn it into a theatrical production. I know you've never seen anybody in church make a scene. Never, ever, ever. It says, don't turn into a theatrical production either. It says, all these people making a regular show of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Do you think God's sitting there and applauding you for a great performance? That's what he's saying. He says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Don't just go through the motions. Don't role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. Then it says the focus will shift from you to God. And then you will begin to sense His grace. Get to a place quiet between you and the Lord. That might be your car. That might be in the shower. You know, depending on what's going on in your house. You may have to go take a walk. You need to get in a place. Why? Because and I love the way the message says it here. Is that when we get quiet before the Lord, that the focus will shift from us to Him. Our prayers become more effective when we're focused on Him, by the way. He says that we would sense His grace. 
It goes on in verse 7, it says, The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques, forgetting what they want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better um, than you what you need. God is like a loving, or God is like this loving you, or wait, with a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. I'm going to flip over to the uh, New Living, well, yeah, let me flip over to New Living Translation. It says this, it says, our Father in heaven. Now, let me say this about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is not saying, pray this prayer. You can go look at it. And many people just quote this prayer and they just, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They just roll through it. That's not what Jesus said. He said, hey, pray like this. In other words, I'm giving you a model, a prayer model, if you will. So first and foremost, he says, our Father in heaven. If you would do these, there are seven principles that we're going to pull out of this quickly. I'm going to share with you very quickly. That could change your prayer life. Our Father in heaven. So you start there. Number one, it starts that we're connected with God relationally. He's not some far off God. No, I'm in a relationship with Him. So when we, when we approach God, we ought to go no further than connecting with Him relationally first. We need to understand He's my Father. Now, that's, that is God's favorite name. Father, Father. Why? Because that speaks of relationship. And we ought to connect with Him relationally. It says, may your name be kept holy. I'll tell you what, I'm going to flip to the book. I'm going to change this. I'm going to read this out of the New King James just because that's the one everybody knows. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name simply means to worship Him. So I come to Him, God, you are my Father. And I want to take a moment before I get to anything else. And I just want to take a moment here and worship you. I want to meditate. And what does that mean? You can thank Him. God, I thank you that you've healed my body. I thank you that you provided for me. I thank you that you are the prince of all peace in my life. I thank you that you are the substance of my joy. That's all worship. Why? Because you're declaring who God is to you. That's what worship is. It's a declaration of our heart of who God is. Verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, what are we saying? God, I'm making your agenda first. What you want is more important than what I want. If you ever wonder what's on God's heart, it's people. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So that whoever would believe in him would what? Come into everlasting life that's found in, in Christ. That's what the word declares. Verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. So... We're not just talking about manna from heaven. I mentioned that earlier about having bread falling from heaven like rain. No, this is, now there's a degree of that, of yes, there is natural food or provision for today, but it's also spiritual food for today. Father, man, I need a connection. Remember, we're connecting with Him relationally. God, I need a connection with You now. I need, some, I need to be refilled and refueled by Your Spirit right now. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive, uh, as we forgive our debtors. In other words, you could say it this way, is that we need to get our heart right with God and with people. If there's anything between me and God, I need to get it right. If I've got something against somebody else, I need to get it right. I want to get my heart right. Why? Because I want a pure heart. Why? Because God says if we have a pure heart before Him, He will visit us. So I want to make sure that when I'm praying, my heart's right before the Lord. 
It goes on here, and this translation is not accurately, well, none of them really are translated accurately for what it means. But it says, do not lead us into, into temptation. You know, the Bible is very clear is that God does not tempt us with any evil. It says that, that temptation arises out of our own hearts. So God doesn't tempt us. Really what it would say is, God, don't allow me to be led. In other words, don't allow other things to come in. In other words, rescue me even, when, even if that's myself. I need you to save me from myself. So you could also, and, and this is where really what I would consider almost like daily spiritual warfare. Hey, you have an enemy and he's coming for you. I heard somebody say it like this one time, and I thought it was so good. They said, if we worked as hard to fight against the devil as he does against us, it would make life a lot easier. Because the truth is that we have an enemy who is all the time fighting against us. And the problem is we pray one or two prayers a week thinking we're going to get the victory. No, we need to be praying daily. We need to be praying constantly. He goes on here and he says... Um, So do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, You know, and so what does that really mean? This is how I think if you keep this verse here particularly in mind, it'll change the way you pray too. It's Jeremiah 32 verse 17. He says, Ah, Lord, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. If we would just wrap up our prayer with that. God, I thank you for all these things and and all the things that I have need of and all these other things I pray for. Lord, I'm not reminding you, but I'm reminding myself that there is absolutely nothing too hard for you. Amen. Yes, you're going to leave prayer not being like, oh, man, I'm glad I got that off my chest. You're going to leave that with my God's got this. My father heard me. And because I know that he heard me, he's got this. And therefore, I don't need to worry. Because he's able. Because he's faithful to me. So the second area, if you will, that we look at. And these need to be daily things. Not just all. This needs to be. Let me say it this way. This isn't a, a specific moment that happens. This ought to be the life that we live. Prayer ought to be the life that we live. Worship ought to be the life that we live. Not a moment of a day. Well, I penciled you in from 8.10 to 8.15 this morning, Lord. I mean, sometimes that's needed and that we ought to... I mean, I think sometimes we need to pencil times in with the Lord. I'm not saying that that's a negative thing, but if that's what we're stuck to, I believe we're robbing ourselves of all these little moments throughout the day. Yeah. Now, worship ought to be a part of our life. Psalm 16 verse 7 says this. says, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me and I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. Verse 11 says that God would show me the way of life granting me the joy of his presence and the pleasures of living with him forever. That's a powerful verse. Psalm 63. I'm going to read this out of the message translation. Verse 1 says, God, you are my God. I cannot get enough. He says, I've worked up such a hunger and a thirst for you, traveling across dry and weary deserts. He says, so here I am in this place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. In your generous love, I am really living at last. My lips brim praises like fountains. Now, I'm not a big artistic poetry kind of guy necessarily, but... Just that line stuck out to me. My lips 
brim praises like fountains. How many of you ever been around a fountain? They just keep pouring water, don't they? Constantly. That's what a fountain does. They just keep pouring water. And keep... My lips constantly, continually would proclaim your praises. I bless you every time I take a breath. Every time I take a breath, I bless you. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. It says, I eat my fill of prime rib and gravy. This is the uh, down south version. <laughs> I eat my fill of prime rib and gravy. I smack my lips. It's time to shout praises. If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend the hours in grateful reflection. Even when I can't sleep, God, I'm going to be praising you. For me right now, and for Dara right now, at 4 o'clock in the morning, our boy wakes up. I don't really think about too many praises at that time, but yet the psalmist here says he was. Well, I've got something to work on then. He says in verse 7, Because you have always stood up for me, I can run free and play. I hold on to you for, for dear life, and you hold me as steady as a post. Worship before God. See, here's what we have to understand is that worship is not limited to a song. It's an attitude and an approach to our Father. It's any time that we bless Him. You know, you don't have to sing to worship. You're like, well, I can't sing. My voice is bad and blah, blah, blah. And I got no rhythm. That's okay. The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Some of us make melodies. Some of us make noise, okay? That's just, it's okay. We're, God's got room for all of us. And when we would lift up our voices and we begin to worship God, what happens? The Bible says that He would inhabit or He would come and sit even in the midst of our praise. We need to praise and worship God. And, and sometimes worship is just a matter of just stopping what you're doing and saying, Father, I thank you for today. This is something I've been doing since the new year. Every morning when I wake up, I've been praying this prayer. Father, I thank you that today is your day. And you have people for me to touch today. So I thank you that today is going to be a good day. Amen. Get up. Go about my day. Go get ready. Do whatever I got to do. And it's just been something I've been trying to be more diligent about. Every, before the first thing I do. Why? Because I want to make sure that I'm acknowledging God first. Today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. And I will be glad. Why? This is the day that God gave me. Every day is a blessing. Doesn't mean there's not struggles, but hey, it's a blessing. Psalms 34. Verse 1 in the New Living says this. It says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will consist or constantly speak His praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of God's greatness. Let us exalt His name together. I prayed to the Lord and He answered me. He freed me from all of my fears. Those who look to Him for help will be radiant with joy. I've got troubles, but if I look to the Lord, He'll give me joy. Even in the midst of my troubles. It says, no shadow of shame will darken their faces. It says, in my desperation I prayed, and God listened. So just because you get in a place of desperation doesn't mean God's like, you should have prayed about this yesterday, I'm sorry. I ain't got time for you to... No, even in your desperation, God will listen. It says, and He saved me from all of my troubles. For the Lord, or for the angel of the Lord is a guard, and He surrounds and defends all who fear Him. 
This goes back to something I was sharing with you earlier. There at the end of worship. Verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me say it this way. Experience the goodness of God. Experience the goodness of God. That's what he's saying when he says taste and see. He says come and experience how good God is. You know, as, as I was reading over this this week, as, as I was reminded of a song. It's by a guy named Matt Redman. It's called 10,000 Reasons. And uh, there's a, a, a verse of it. And I, I just want to read you just a little bit of this song. But it says, the sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. So, hey, it's a new day. The sun just came up. I don't like the sun, but today it is your day. So I'm going to begin to sing. And whatever may be behind me, or he says, whatever may pass, so whatever's in my past, and whatever lies before me, I will, or let me be singing when the evening comes. So in other words, God, I've got a new day today. So I'm just going to start off my morning with praise, and regardless of what happened yesterday, and regardless of what may happen today, I pray that at the end of today, I'm still singing your praise. In other words, guard my heart today. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, worship His holy scene. His holy name, sing like never before. O oh my soul, I will worship your holy name. Doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It doesn't even matter what's going to happen today. Because I know you already know what's going to happen today. But what I ask is that by your spirit, by your presence, that you would preserve me even as I walk through today. So that when I get home tonight, I'm not going to be frazzled. I'm not going to be frustrated. I'm not going to be ticked off. And I'm going to be ready to sing some praise even when I get off work. That's my modern translation of what he's saying there. Which he didn't write the song that long ago, but that's my version. So we have prayer, we have worship, and the last one's the word. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I believe many of you know this, but I just want to share some thoughts with you. If we are to have consistency in our, in our life or our relationship with our Father, then we need a steady diet of His word. It is our daily bread. It is our daily bread. One of the things about manna in the Old Testament was it was only good for that day. You couldn't store it up except for on Saturday. And God would say, hey, take enough for two days. And he would supernaturally allow it to keep. That's why I was you know, sharing with you earlier about that, that an experience from years ago is not enough to sustain you today with God. Amen. It was great. It was awesome. It was glorious. I have them. And I love them. And I love to go back to them. But I don't want to go back and dream yesterday's experience. No, I want God afresh in my life. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's, it's active and it's living. The word of God is active and living, it's powerful. I like to say it, my translation of that verse would be, is that God's word will tell you why you think the way you think and feel the way you feel. It can expose you for what's really going on. How many of you have ever been in a moment when you're like, I don't know why I reacted that way. I don't know why I feel this way. Well, God's word can tell you. God's working to exactly why. You know, I'm re- I've started reading this book here in the new year. I just started reading. I'm only in the very beginning of it. But it's called Divine Mentors by a guy named Wayne Cordero. And he's talking about being mentored. You know, that's a big deal. It's a, kind of a buzzword right now in business world, church world. You know, I want somebody to mentor me. I want somebody to mentor me. I want somebody to mentor me. The Bible's full of mentors. And God doesn't just show you their highlight reels. He shows you the failures too. So you can learn from their good days and you can learn from their bad days. Like, well, I don't have a mentor you got tons of them. They're in the Bible. 
I mean, what good is a mentor if you never talk to them? So here's some things that I want to encourage you with, even at the beginning of this year, is to get you a daily Bible reading plan. Get you something on paper that's written out or something that you've got on your phone or something that can show you, hey, this is a plan. You know, there's a version Bible app. They've got tons of reading plans. They've got 30-day, 90-day, read the Bible in a year, read the Bible backwards if you want. I don't know. They've got Bible reading plans for everything. They've got tons of them. That's a free app you can get on your phone, your iPad, your, your devices, whatever. It's free. You can get those. You can... Get it, you know, you can download stuff off the internet. I mean, there's no reason that you say, well, I don't have, I mean, there's 21 day Bible reading plans. You can read through the New Testament in 21 days. It's on every Bible reading plan thing I've ever found. I've done it twice where you can go in there and you can, you know, that you can read through the whole and you're like, man, that's a lot of reading. Not as much as you think. So, to, so in other words, get a plan for reading. I started a new one this year. I'm going to read through the Bible. This year, I'm going to read through the entire Bible. So far, it's been reading through two, I'll just tell you, it's two chapters in Matthew. So far, it's been one chapter in Job and two to three ver- or chapters in Genesis. I'm just kind of reading through the whole thing. I've got a plan. Now, I'm going to get a new email today. They're going to email me my Bible reading plan for the next week. How difficult is that? See, there's, I mean, there's things like that. I mean, there's all this, we live in the day of information, so leverage it for the kingdom of God. So get you a Bible reading plan. Get yourself a devotional. Something that you like. There's lots of people that will even email out daily devotionals. All you got to do is go in there and sign up for them. Dare listens to podcasts. And they'll send out little quick five minute things. Or they'll email you a little daily devotional. Make it a priority. But hey, you know, I'm not telling. Like I'll just tell you honestly. I don't read my Bible first thing in the morning. Why? Because I'm not a morning person. I can read it. But by the time I get out of the shower, I'm not going to remember what I read. So for me, I'm like, it's not really beneficial. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't spend some time with the Lord that morning through prayer and through worship. I mean, most of my study, I mean, I'll just tell you, most of my study time happens between about 9 and 1 at night. Because that's when I'm most awake. I'm a night person. I'm not a morning person. Some of you love mornings. I don't like mornings. Me and mornings don't quite see eye to eye. Me and nights party all night long. <laughs> So I study at night. Why? Because that works for me. But that doesn't mean that, well, I'm just going to study all the time at night. Well, sometimes things come up, things get in the way. But if I have a plan, well, hey, I've got 15 minutes while I'm sitting here at the doctor. I'm waiting on nobody. Well, I'm waiting on the doctor, but i got nothing to do. Pull out my phone. I could read my, my Bible reading in 10 minutes while I'm just waiting. You know, I mean, it's amazing with the technology that we have today, and it's always at our fingertips how much it's accessible to us. You know, we got to wait for this. we got to wait for that. you got to... I mean, you know, if you go to lunch by yourself, you go get some food, you go sit down, guess what you're doing? You're waiting for them to get your food. Why not take advantage of that time? Depending on where you're going out already, you could wait 10 minutes, 15 minutes for your food. Yeah, you, you, you might wait a while. You could do your devotional, your daily Bible reading. You get some prayer time in. You might even get a fast in before they get your food to you. Make the most of your time. Right? So get a devotional. Get something that would stir you up. Now this is my encouragement to you. Don't get caught up in making... Or don't get caught up in making seeking God into law. That's just religion. 
So let me say it this way. If you miss a day or maybe even a few, here's my encouragement to you. Give yourself some grace. Give yourself some grace. I'll just tell you, even like the Bible reading plan I'm doing, they give me Sundays off. I read Monday to Saturday. And you know why? Because if I happen to miss a day, guess what I've got on Sunday? A makeup day. Give yourself some grace. God is not mad at you. God is not angry with you. You might go a week and say, man, I forgot about my devotional. Well, I guess I'm going to pick that one up next January. No, just pick it back up. Just start back. So if you do miss it, it's not law. Give yourself some grace. God will give you grace. You just need to give yourself some. See, the Father wants to give you life, joy, peace, strength. It's how we engage in the abundant life that Jesus has provided. These are the things regularly. I mean, we need to come to church. We need to worship corporately. I mean, there's, 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 there's something special that happens when we come together. But there's also something special that happens when it's just me and the Lord. And it's the combination of those two things. I mean, if we're going to see God do great things that we want to see God do through our church, that's only going to happen as we're doing what we need to do individually. Because then we all bring what God's doing in us individually, corporately, and then all of a sudden, something greater begins to happen. Let me read you two last verses. Make them quick. Proverbs eight seventeen. This is really speaking of wisdom in the book of Proverbs here, but it's the Lord. And he says, I will love all who love me. Those who search will surely find me. I will love those who love me, and those who search will surely find me. Hebrews eleven six says it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. The message translation, that same verse says it this way. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that He exists and that He cares enough to respond to those who seek Him. Some people don't believe that God cares enough to listen to their prayer. And you need to hear the voice of your father this morning that says, I care enough to listen and I care enough to respond. I care enough to work on your behalf. For those who would diligently seek the Lord, make it a priority. Say, God, this year, I want, to, I want to set time aside. I'm not going to be perfect, and I acknowledge that, but I want to set time aside, and I want to start some new habits in my life. I want to set some new things in place this year that I would prioritize your word. I want to prioritize your presence. I want to prioritize prayer this year. Why? And I shared this with you last year at the beginning of the year. And Lord, I think I may have shared it a couple weeks ago. I don't remember now, but I just want to remind you of this. It was a statement that... I, I'd heard somebody else say, I don't remember who, but I stole it, so I can't remember who said it anymore, so now it's mine. Some of you might remember this from last year, that this would be your best year ever if this is your best year spiritually. The only way to guarantee that this is going to be your best year ever is it's got to be your best year spiritually. There's areas of my life that I know that I'm not where I want to be. Well, I want to be better this year, and I want to strive. If I don't have a goal, guess what? I'm going to hit that every time. What's that? Nothing. Because I don't have a goal. Last week I talked about you getting a vision for God, for, from God for this year. Well, I can just tell you, God's vision for all of us, 
all the time is to become more intimately acquainted with Him. Well, how do we do that? Through prayer, through worship, through the Word. Those are three daily things that we can do. Again, so what? The day gets busy and you miss it. Don't get caught up in the law. There's grace. Give yourself some grace. If this hasn't been a normal part of your life, you might miss a week. You might miss two. It's okay. Just start back. No, I'm going to start some new normals. I'm going to start some new... This will become my normal. I'm going to spend time with the Lord today. It might be a couple minutes as you're getting ready in the morning just praying. Father, I thank you that today your grace is sufficient for me. Your power in me can help me to do all that you've called me to do. And so I just want to encourage you this, you know, next week we're going to be continuing along these lines. Not this particular message, but with this series. But make some new normals. Make some decisions. Don't make resolutions. Make some decisions. There's a big difference. Resolutions, you can be like, ah, that's just New Year's resolution. Make a decision this year. I'm going to seek the Lord more than I ever have. I'm going to be faithful to keep my commitments. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I need you to prompt me and to help me. Because I'm going to forget. And I need you to stir in me. And then it's up to us. We've got to make those decisions. Okay, I'm going to turn the TV off. And I'm going to get in the Word for a few minutes. Why? Because there's life in the Word. There's life in the presence of God. There's fullness of joy in the presence of God. And we need it to live this life successfully. In a way that would honor God, that we would live... Let me say it this way. If we're going to live like kingdom subjects... Remember what I told you earlier? The kingdom of God is within you. If we're going to live like kingdoms of that... Or if we're going to live like residents of that kingdom... Then we got to abide by the king's rules. 